You're listening to the Writing New South Wales podcast, where you can hear conversations, panel discussions and readings from New South Wales writers and industry experts. I'd like to start by acknowledging that we're meeting today on the lands of the Wongal and Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the first storytellers of this country, and pay respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. No, I, no, Deb, I just wanted to introduce a couple of little things about her. Because she's one of the most popular children's um, writers in Australia, she's written more than 25 books that are published internationally. She has won a swag of awards over the last 20 years. She was a teacher, then she was a writer for Cheese TV at Channel 10, then she became a children's author and she writes books about spies, super spellers, sea monsters, and my favourite, sword fighting girl heroes. And the fact that kids adore Deb's books is shown by the very, very many times that she's been shortlisted for, especially my favourite, the Children's Choice Awards, like the Yabbas, the Waverers, the Koalas. And in 2013, she was awarded the Morris Saxby Award for Services to Children's Literature. And in 2017, she was named a Koala Legend. <laughs> uh, Deb is one of my absolute favourite Aussie children's um, writers. And she's a fellow pup and author, as we just told you. And she's also a lovely friend. So welcome, Deb. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm going to kick off by asking you, what was your favourite book as a child? Uh, so um, I happen to have one here. So I had uh, a couple of different favourite books as a child. And there are some of them there. Uh, the Lorax, because it was just this, you know, uh, Dr Seuss's cranky book about us needing to take better care of the planet. Um, Professor Brainstorm, no, not many people know that. This is wacky inventor, uh, professor, where the inventions would always go wrong. And Heidi just felt like it was set somewhere way more exciting than the western suburbs of Sydney. And it's funny, looking back at those books, a lot of my, the stuff that I write now is inspired by that. Inventions, I've got so many books with inventions and stuff in it. Uh, looking after the planet, cranky climate change, uh, Deb, here we come. And then book sets somewhere that feel exotic and amazing. Oh, that's perfect. So when did you start writing? Uh, well, I started writing when I was seven, uh, and, and my first story was about a man made out of cheese. <laughs> I know. I, it, I mean, it should have been a bestseller, probably. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think so. I started writing at Cheese TV at Channel 10, which was a morning television show, um, probably in the early 90s. was there for about seven years, and I've been writing for about 20 years. My first book came out 20 years ago this year. I know, that's wow. absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, 20 years ago in... Yeah, exactly. they're all thinking, oh, she's old. Um, <laughs> 2002. And that's what's happened since. I know, so, it's amazing. So I'm just wanting to go back to that first book. Yes. 20 years ago, mm. it was the first book in the highly successful Max Remy Super Spy series, mm. which I loved. I know my daughter loved that when she was little too. It was published internationally, won lots of awards, and was featured in the Angus and Robertson Top 50 Kids Books, which is such an honour. Um, how did you get your big break to get into publishing? Uh, I was pushy, and I still believe in that. And I know Zoe's here today. She will, she will know that. Where she is, yeah. Because uh, I'll pitch a book and Zoe will go, yeah, yeah, maybe. And then I'll go back and I'll work on it some more, and I'll pitch it again. She'll go, and I think the Book of Wondrous Possibilities was that. And then I find, and it was so good that Zoe kind of basically was saying no to me. It's not good enough yet. 
because I'd go home and I'd work on it and I'd try and think, what is the nugget in this thing, right? And then finally I pitched it to Zone and she went, yeah, that's the one, yeah. So She um, does that to you too. Yeah, that's <laughs> just me. No, 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 she does it to me too. So um, when Max Remy came out, I was working on Cheese TV, writing, you know, five days a week for a um, six-day-a-week show. And um, at and morning and night, I'd be writing this novel uh, about this, you know, these two kids spies who travelled all over the world. And I sent it off to, I think, seven different publishers all at once. I'm not sure, again, like you, I'm not sure what I was doing. I just thought, I'm going to just do this. And then uh, six of them said no, but Random House said, actually, we quite like this. And there are no feisty girl hero books at the time. Yeah, like it got getting slimed and sludged. And, and now it's everywhere. It's yeah. great. But um, so they said, yeah, we want this and we want more. So, yeah, and I mean, thank goodness for that. It just um, it started a brilliant career. This is a question that I'm really fascinated by because you worked for Cheese TV and you've told me before that it really helped with you writing books for kids and it's the, the process of it. So I just wondered if you could tell me what techniques that you learned from screenwriting that you use in writing your amazing books. Yeah, um, one, you just, the, dead, the show goes to air in two days so you cannot have writer's block. So you have to do it. You have to... So that for seven years, I had to write scripts, yep. like six scripts a week. It just had to go to... You could not have blank space going to air, right? So that discipline, that sitting down and just getting it done is so, so, so good. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not as disciplined anymore, but it was good when I was young. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, too, um, you have to get in and get out quite quick. Yep. So that succinct kind of level of writing, which, which was really good as well. Um, and the other thing was, I used to, before Cheesy Bear, I wrote for um, drama, adult drama. It was too boring, so I left that. Um, but chapter breakdowns, or scene breakdowns, yes. they call it in telly. So um, I still do that today. When I'm planning a novel, I'll plan it all out. But then I will do chapter breakdowns. And it might just be a line. Chapter one, Lizette rushes in and gives Arlo a book. Chapter two, you know, I won't give it away. But yeah, yeah so just a line. And that's like a guide track that keeps me on train right to the end. I don't know exactly what's going to happen at the end, but hopefully it will be exciting. Uh, I have just read your new book, um, The Book of Wondrous Possibilities. I got an early um, arc for it, thanks to you at Random House. It's been launched in six weeks. I absolutely love this book. I stayed up way too late reading it. And it's so beautifully crafted. I was just, I just thought it was beautifully done. You've got unique and endearing characters. Um, you've got this brilliant pacing, which I admire because I can't do that, can I, Zoe? And um, some great twists and turns. You jump straight into the action, kept it tense, tightly structured. Um, and, yeah, it was just really fast moving. So what was your inspiration for this particular book? How long did it take you to write from the beginning of the first idea to publication, which is in six weeks? Go. Okay, first of all, Belinda Morell is a beautiful writer. <laughs> so I, just, I just have to say that, and that is so kind and generous of you to say that about the book of wondrous possibilities. Um, I, I hate to say the word, but it did begin during COVID. It began with that idea of what if suddenly the world outside still looks like it does, but something hidden is dangerous. It makes it too dangerous to go outside, and that felt the cruelest thing to do to human beings. And I thought, all right, what if there's a little boy who perhaps lost his mum about a year ago, and that's the thing that makes him not want to go outside. The world, when you go outside, accidents happen, and you lose people you love, right? So in his, his case, it's a physical thing. Um, and then I just, I, I also missed my friends, I miss the world, um, I miss my writing buddies. You know, we talk about writing when we get together, like we do talk about other stuff, 
But we then go to writing, and what are you writing, and how are you writing, and how's it going? And I miss that so much. So I called up some buddies of mine, um, who uh, Tristan Banks, I don't Tristan's here yet, and um, a couple of other people, and we started an online critique group. And I don't know why I didn't do it earlier than than last year, the year before, the year before. Um, we get together once a month. We are very um, precise about it. We give each other 15 minutes to work on a, a new piece of work, which we'll have sent a few days earlier. Yep. And they kept me honest. They kept me from not being lazy. They'd say, yeah, Deb, we really like that chapter you sent in today. It's a little too easy that that character suddenly went from here to there. Mm -hmm. And they were just, damn it, I thought I'd get away with that. So they didn't, in the nicest possible way, didn't let me get away with being lazy, right, or re relying on coincidence. So I, I, I think perhaps The Book of Wondrous Possibilities is my one of my paciest books. And the problem happens on chapter one, yeah. page one, sentence one. And I, it's my, my lovely writing group. Fantastic. Can you just drill down a little bit more for us and just tell us a bit about your creative writing process? Because I know all of us here are mm -hmm. mad keen writers and it's so lovely to hear how another writer actually works. Well, it's a mess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> exactly, I can't say. Well, on day one, I sit down and I write chapter one. That is not what happens. Um, there are a bunch of scribbly old, ridiculous, flying thoughts that are just, you know, it's, it starts with a kernel of an idea too. And just like this session is called too, you have to be excited about that idea. You have to have a passion about the idea. You have to want to get to, and I know you do this, you, you fall in love with your characters. You want to protect them, even though you are about to submit them to horrendous things, right? Because that is our job. Um, but at the beginning, it's a mess of notes. It's just scribbles, and, and I do physically, like I do pen and paper kind of stuff right at the beginning, and I, what about this? And no, let's get rid of that and do something else. Um, once I've got, the um the idea of the novel um it, often too while i'm writing down the plan of the novel I'll, a scene will come into my head so i'll just inject that scene in and think oh well, i'll use that later but I, I need to keep planning the book and then um after a while once i do have again my chapter breakdown done i will do my chapter cards and so these these cards sat next to me. Um, I mean, I write in a little tiny nook in the attic of our house on a tiny little red desk. And next to me um, is is this wall, and that's where I put, like I said, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, whatever. And this again keeps me on track. Oh, that's right. This is the chapter where I have to reveal that secret. And uh, and of course, I've crossed out things up there. I've rearranged. Sometimes I realise, oh no, that chapter needs to come earlier it's you know it's a, it's a whole lego minecraft sort of thing isn't it um and then it sort of hopefully gets to chapter one the other thing i did for this novel too and i know lots of other writer friends of mine have done this and i'm not so much in the last few years i've definitely done it i i try to as much as i can get to know my story world so i'll just look online i'll just look for photographs of things um so for the book of wondrous possibilities these two are the main characters up here. Uh, there's a suave looking <laughs> Jeff Goldblum character in it. Um, this Griselda, it just had to be Marion. That's exactly how I oh. envisaged her as I read it. Yeah. I, I knew I, it was her. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a character in the book. Um, Arlo is Uncle Avery. Um, Uncle Avery went to university with Griselda and she's beautiful and gorgeous and huggy and just drives really badly and I, I just love her and said in bookshops one of the main characters is a mouse so I really really wanted a mouse and there are 
you know, kind of ambling back streets. This helped me get to know my world really well, but it helped me write better. Like yeah. I, once I saw the picture of that, yeah. Griselda changed came and life, yeah, yeah, she really came alive. So I really recommend doing that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, music is good too. Uh, I know a few friends who will put music on and action piece of music while they're writing that action sequence. Like anything you can do to get you into that chapter or that character or that mood is, is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. Um, and I love, it's one of the things I love talking to other writers is how they do this process and you steal ideas. It's really great. It's, yeah. <laughs> we it's, are like little bowers. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I know, and I love talking to Deb about her planning particularly because I think it's great. I love seeing those, those images. I made her do that. I said, we have to see that. Um, so this is a cheeky question and I hate it when people ask me this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, about drafting and I'm wondering how many drafts you think you usually do when you're writing a book. Um, and how much do your finished books change from your initial concept? Oh, sometimes a lot. Like, yeah, there's one book, Grimsden, that I wrote, just it completely almost changed at mm. the end. I, it, yeah, so that, and that's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. And again, like so, rejecting all of my pictures, um, that's a good thing because you cry sometimes. With so sometimes, though, I cry. <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> I cry. <laughs> Not in front of so, no. just when I leave. Because <laughs> I wanted to think I'm strong. Um, but <laughs> um, what was the question? <laughs> it was about drafts and it's about drafts. You can count like yes. this. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah. You know, you you and I know this. When we hand in our first draft, I mean we've worked on that and yeah. reworked it, so it's almost like draft four by the time yeah, we hand in draft one, yeah. Um, and then the second drafts, yeah, you're just constantly doing it. So probably, in a way, probably 10, do yeah. you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, it's really hard to count, I think, because it's, yeah. it's a constant process, really. Constant. And I rewrote chapter one of Wondrous more than that, of course, yeah. because your chapter one, if your chapter one doesn't get your readers in, mm. they may not see all the other beautiful <laughs> things that are about to happen. And I remember uh, an American author once, I was in a conference, and he said, do not leave your chapter one until the voice is there, the tone, like until the novel is there almost in that first thing. And I've always remembered that. So I want my chapter ones to be the book. Yeah, that's fabulous advice. Okay, um, ingredients. What sort of ingredients do you think are really important to include? Or would you love to include in children's books? <laughs> just stuff that gets me excited. I mean, just, I mean, um, you don't, you don't mean technical ingredients? No, 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 no. I just mean story ingredients. I love, I, I love, like a lot of my stories are set in the real world, but I love that possibility of something that could happen. You know, like in Grimston, there's a flying sea monster. In the Book of Wondrous Possibilities, there's a sky mouse. Yes. Which is one of the most important characters in the book. Yeah. And so I like just pushing a little bit into what could be possible. Um, and then in other books, I mean, just stuff that's really important is, uh, kids, friendships, and ideas of loyalty, family. Because mm. I know I was, I was saying earlier today, if you look at the range of my books, they kind of look like, wow, you've written like a different book each time. You know, you switch genres and stuff. I don't feel like I do, yeah. you know, because every the elements are the same in many ways. Yeah. yeah. And every single book I write is about kids who at the beginning don't know they have these incredible, you know, courage. Or, yes. Yeah. 
and bravery and my job is to make them go, uh-uh, I know you're really scared of this, but I'm going to put you right in the middle of that because you are not only going to handle that, you are going to like be a champion. Yeah, yeah, no, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, going back to sort of like your process, do you have a typical writing day? Um, and how many hours a day would you spend writing? On a day, I mean, you and I know this one, we're not in schools or festivals or stuff. Yeah. Um, where I'm, I get up at sort of 5, 5.30, um, you know, wash my face, do some yoga so I can wake up. And then I, I try to stay at my desk all day. Um, there's a, a point where I get full at like 7 o'clock, my brain just goes and it just doesn't work anymore. So I try and like do that. It's I've a really a long working day, day isn't yeah, it? Yeah, long it working is. day. Yeah. And um, this is one of my favourite questions to ask writers. Do you have any really quirky, weird habits um, or routines that help you get into, you know, that sort of lovely flow where you're just feeling like the book is gushing out of you? Not really. <laughs> no, because you know what you're like? You sit at your desk and you're really excited and nothing happens. <laughs> you know those days when you just go, come on, I've got all day in front of me, I've got schools for the rest of the week, this is all I've got. <laughs> so no, because I... Writing is as mysterious to me as it has been since day one. And I love it. I, I don't it. understand it. I know it needs a lot of my attention. It needs me to show up and sit down. That's all I know. <laughs> um, okay, do you ever struggle with writer's block? And when you talked about this before, when you said, you know, when you're writing to deadlines, you just don't have that luxury. Um, but if, if you ever do, do you have any tricks to help you with it? Make you get into that okay, way. remember, go back to what your character wants and then make it hard for them to get it. It's, yeah. Just take it back to that. Make stuff go wrong. Add those obstacles to the thing your character wants. So, you know, Arlo, he doesn't, he needs, you know, he's so caught in the grief of losing his mum in a way. Um, he doesn't know what he needs yet. And sometimes your characters will be like that too. What Arlo really wants is for him to realise how brave he is. Mm. But it's, sometimes your characters, yeah, just don't know what they need yet. <laughs> um, now, Zoe's going to be really sorry that she came along today, mm -hmm. uh, our beautiful publisher at Penguin Random House, because you and I have been so lucky, we often boast to ourselves about this, how lucky we've been to work with the brilliant publisher at Penguin Random House, Zoe Walton, over many, many years. I mean, not quite as long as you, but almost. And we've also shared two wonderful editors, Brandon Vanover and more recently Mary Burney. So I just wanted you to just chat a little bit um, about these relationships and why are they so important and why do we have this, you know, kind of really strong bond with our team and how important are they? Yeah, I, there, there are two big relationships when I write. So my writing friends and particularly my critique group because that gets me in a state where I can pitch or gets that idea developed enough. And then, oh my gosh... We know this, we would be nothing without. <laughs> we know this. They point things out to us gently and kindly and say. Sweetly sometimes. It's just, and, yes, <laughs> sweetly sometimes. Sweetly sometimes. <laughs> sweetly most of the time. Most of the time. And, um, but without the editor to point out, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in, in, in the first big instance, I, so I'm sorry, you're really a part of this, it's your fault. Yeah. Um, but Zoe, in, Zoe, I love, Zoe, I love when you, you are so good at big picture, you know, and in order for your character art to go from here to here to here in a satisfactory way, it's sagging here, like, so who's got this big, 
great way of seeing the overall picture. Yeah. And then when Zoe's happy with that with me, yeah, she sort of hands me over to Mary mm. in a way. And then Mary and I really nitty gritty it out until it's like Mary will say, you use that word on page 65, you can't use it on page 144. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they remember this I know, stuff. I don't and know, then they do it like Brandon used to do. Do you remember? Oh, yeah, but your character four books ago you know, twisted their head, do you think? You know, like, That's maybe she could do something a bit different? I know. Really? Okay. I, I, I am in awe of editors and publishers. They, they, they're yeah. just totally in awe. They just know what they're doing so well. So, again, again another bit of advice. If your editor gives you advice and, and you think, no, I could never possibly, just sit with it for a bit, go home, have a cup of tea, maybe even put, the, put your book down for a while, and then really think about it, because very, very, very often, yep. it's the absolute best thing you can do, but it might mean a lot of work. And it might even mean trashing some of your work. And I know Jackie French, I was at a, a conference with her years ago, and she said, Chapter, uh, your first draft is kind of just the draft before you trash it, and then you rewrite it, then you trash it again. And it may not be a full trash, but it might be you have to lose some chapters, you have to lose a character, and so just, Trust that your editors and your publishers, they've been doing this a long time and they're good at it. They're so good at it. They're so good at it. Even though we cry sometimes. We do <laughs> cry. Um, is there anything you know now that you wish you'd known when you first started out or 20 years ago? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, and I think I've mentioned a few today. Join a critique group as soon as you can if you aren't already in one. You know, I, I, I very quickly was lucky because I, I met a wonderful person called Suzanne Gervais and we did a network meeting very early on when I, I I'm not sure I published anything, so I was, we had a network group, we just called it Network and then it's kind of morphed into now what's called Squibby yeah. and I'm still a part of Squibby and we still, some of my best friends are still in Squibby and so talk to writers, I think that, I, I think I would have liked to have known that earlier on in a way, um, just immerse yourself in this world, which is, of course, why you're here today. Absolutely. Um, okay, so you have written for lots of different um, age groups, because we've got welfare. Oh, we've got yeah. fallen down. Anyway, never mind. Um, lots of different age groups. Do you have a favourite? And um, what do you think about when you're writing for different age groups? Because it's very different, isn't it? Yeah, it's really different. I've only written two picture books, yep. and I find picture books really, really, really hard. Um, and so I don't have a favourite... Even though I do, I, whenever I, if I do a picture book, then I go back to middle grade, I feel at home in middle grade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, okay, I want to talk about um, Teresa, because until um, The Wondrous Possibilities, I think my favourite book that you've written was Teresa. And I just wondered if you could tell us about this particular book, how it came about, your inspiration and research. And what are some of the highlights of how it was received? And you know what I'm talking about there. <laughs> yeah, this one um, is based on a story about my dad. My dad was born in a cave during one of the heaviest bombing raids of World War II in a country called Malta. And not a lot of people know, but Malta, some people know, uh, Malta was the most heavily bombed place during World War II. And it's because Malta, the beautiful, beautiful island of Malta, is wedged in a way between uh, Europe and North Africa. 
and there was war in both of those areas of uh, the World War II, and um, Adolf Hitler decided he would conquer Malta to have basically a military base right in the middle of World War II. So this peaceful, gorgeous, tiny country with small, tiny people, um, <laughs> just like Deb, just like me, yeah, were, were bombed for three whole years. But the way the Maltese people survived, they dug these massive series of underground tunnels. And any time the Germans would come and drop their bombs, they would literally the entire country would disappear into this warren of underground tunnels. And so I've, I've, no, I've known this story forever, I've loved it. Um, I thought, but why do kids want to read it today? And then I thought, you know what? It's also a migration story. When my dad migrated to Australia, he was bullied and he was picked on because he couldn't speak English and he had dark hair and dark skin and he looked different to all the other kids. And I thought, this book is about home it's about what happens when your home is destroyed. It's about bullying. It's about fitting into a new place. It's about feeling different and being different. And I thought, a lot of those things kids know, right? And I thought, it's just a different context. So I adored writing this book. I adored the research of it. And um, the Maltese community is a pretty tight-knit community. And I met this woman who said, the president of Malta's in town. You need to, t she's a small, she's, they're all, we're all small. <laughs> small, feisty, like little wardrobe of a woman. She, she came up to me at this thing around and she said, the president of Malta's in town. Next week, she's going to be at this church. You have to be there. You have to take her her book. You have to tell her she has to launch the book in Malta. And I'm like, not going up to the president, but thank you for your advice. Anyway, I, I did go to the event where the president was speaking in Sydney, and um, the Antoinette, the, uh, sorry, the wardrobe, Antoinette uh, came up towards me and she said, grabbed my arm, she said, have you met the president yet? And I said, oh no, she's talking to her, come with me. So she dragged me, so she almost elbowed elderly women out of the way, dragged me through the crowd and said, um, your excellency, um, this is um, Deborah, she's a famous author from Australia. Tell her about the book. <laughs> and so I did, and I went, oh, Your Excellency, and then did this wobbly curse and said, uh, this book, and, me, and she said, the president just looked at me and said, we must launch it at the palace. <laughs> in Malta. In Malta, so we did. I just love that story. I have to share that with you because, I mean, honestly, isn't that a bucket list thing? Like, it a, was, a life highlight. And you and I know there are certain highlights in your lovely writing career. <laughs> that was a big one. Yeah. Yes, that was nice. Absolutely. I'm so jealous of that one. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Um, I'm going to ask you Moving on from Malta, you've worked with lots of different publishers, well, several anyway, including Penguin Random House, Scholastic, Walker Books, as well as international publishers such as Merlin, publishers in Malta. So just thought you could perhaps talk a little bit, is there a different relationship with those different publishers? How does a new series or book come about? Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. It's different. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly Penguin Random House, but Teresa was Scholastic just because it fit into a, a series that they were developing at the time. And... I did go to Zoe and say, would you mind if I did this one book with them? And she said, yes, it's fine. Yes, um, she said, yes, I do mind. <laughs> said, yes, it's fine. And get out. Um, and um, I guess you, you do have a different relationship because they're different people, but no, the basics are the same. Yeah. We are all doing this thing we love. Um, we're falling in love with characters. We're, I think it's in, in that way, we know what we're doing we know we're lucky yep. that we're doing so it. Lucky. We know it's an important thing because books change the world. Mm -hmm. I have, I'm, I'm, no, I have no doubt about that. 
Um, and that's also partly kind of why I wanted to write Wondrous as well, yes. because books have the power to change people's lives. And anyone, anyone, and all of us here know it in publishing, we know that. Can you just um, repeat what you said to me about um, why you wrote Wondrous? About a love letter? Oh, yeah, it is literally my, my love letter to just booksellers, librarians, libraries, and it's about the power of books to save us when we feel lost. Like, I don't know about you, but I was pretty depressed last year during that second big lockdown. And I just feel like, and also throughout my life, if ever I was having a really, not a great time in life, it's always a book. Yeah, I, I love that. Always. Oh, time see, because I want to leave time for questions. Um, okay. All right. Over your career, you've been recognised by some pretty special awards, like the Morris Saxby and, of course, Koala Legend. Um, which we love. Um, what have been, other than the, you know, the book launch at the Palace in Malta, um, what have been some of the other absolute highlights of your career? There's small moments with kids. Mm. I mean, yeah, there's lots of nodding heads from authors in the room. Yeah. There are small moments with kids. I was with a kid the other day, I was with her doing a writing workshop and pretty reluctant sort of kids in the room. And so my job was to say, I know you hate writing, but we're about to have fun. Like, and they're looking at me like I'm, you know, like a sure lady, whatever. I just, <laughs> I just want to go to sport. Um, and so we did this, we did this writing activity, and this little boy put up his hand, or year five boy, and I went over and he said, I'm having so much fun. <laughs> and so again, I'm nearly crying. I cry a lot. Authors tend to cry a lot, I think. They cry a lot. So for me, it's those tiny moments. No one will ever be there. No one has seen it. It's just me and that little kind of kid in front of me. And they they are, you know, I feel like saying, my work here is done. <laughs> Thanks, ladies it's and gentlemen. Not, it's <laughs> not done. Um, what is the toughest part of being a children's author? Because it's not all roses and book launches at the palace. There's lots of tough times too. <laughs> I'm going to try and get you a book launch at a palace. <laughs> Am I jealous? It is, yes. very, it is very fun. I was so... Uh, it doesn't, I'm not going to go on about it. But... Um, tough. We're talking tough. We're yeah. talking tough. I worry that I will have nothing to say, mm. which friends of mine just laugh in my <laughs> face. It's like, damn, you've got a lot to say, but I worry that I'll run out of ideas. I worry my ideas won't resonate. Mm. Yeah, I worry that I'll write a book and um, I'll be, you know, it just won't resonate anymore in kids. Do you know what I mean? Yes. I worry that, um, yeah. is there a time limit on this? Can I? Like, I've been doing it for 20 years. I would've been doing it a long time. It, Will other people just come and supersede us? Because, of course, wonderful, amazing, incredible authors okay. and illustrators are coming through every day, right? New, this is my brand new book. And, and so I, 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 but not, I try not to worry about that too much because all I can do is what I do. And then if I don't get published after Wondrous, uh, so I do have a novel I want to pitch to. Today, now. That I've been working on. Is it embarrassing to do it right here and now? Um, uh, I, yeah, so that, that but. All we, all we can do is know why we love our characters and why we want to write this story. And, and again, Zoe years ago said to me, I know why you love this character. You have to, you have to put in your book why I should love your character. And that, I've, I've remembered that forever and it's like, yeah, right, I have, to, I have to write this in such a way that people will fall in love with this story and in love with these characters, not just me, because I already do love them. Mm. 
Um, all of us, no matter how amazingly, brilliantly successful you are, at some point, all of us have to deal with rejection or <laughs> criticism or setbacks or nasty reviews or just something that's not quite going your way. So I think all of us, and we're all such sensitive souls that cry, did we mention that? Um, <laughs> but then you've got to be so tough as well. So um, yeah. do you have any tips for building kind of resilience? Look, rejections are good. Don't I don't ever don't ever knock back the power of a good rejection. You know, it just means that that person at that time that idea is not quite right for them. In fact, that exact idea might be right for somebody else. Or like I told you about, so I need to rework it. I need to rethink it. I need to maybe pull it apart, take it back. Rejections are good. Um, I, I I've had I've had two rejections recently, and I'm still standing. <laughs> um, and it, they were good, I, and with feedback, oh my gosh, if you get a rejection with feedback, because sometimes Stuart is just a no, because publishers are too busy, um, but take it all on board, take that knock, you know, and I, um, it's, it's, it's all part of the learning process and I'm fascinated still by writing and I have so much more to learn. Do you, do you yes, feel yes, that? Yes, absolutely, yeah, okay. absolutely. We have so I'm constantly doing writing workshops online. I've done a few uh, recently from related to Squibby overseas. I'm constantly just like amazed by this process and want to know how other people do it. Yes, exactly. yeah, it's fascinating. Um, okay, one thing I adore about your books is the way you explore some really big issues like climate change and political inaction um, in your Goodison books. Many of your books play with traditional gender roles um, and celebrate diversity, like Lizette, Arlo and, and Viola in the book of Wondrous Possibilities. Um, so how much do you think about these issues when you're planning the stories right at the very beginning? And what themes and issues do you love to explore? I, it, it's, yeah, it's got to start it does have to, character is king, yep. but character is king. If people don't like your characters, then forget it, right? Um, but we're human and I care about stuff. And so I like to actually inject into my books stuff I care about without it being a lecture. That's what you want, yep. don't you? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Treading, treading lightly. Yeah. Without bashing people at the head totally. like that. Totally. Exactly. Um, so we're going to leave some time now um, for some questions. Um, if anyone's got a, a quick question or two. One. We've got one, time for one question. <laughs> <laughs> I think we must have answered everybody's, everybody's questions, which is great. But um, Deb and I just want to do one quick plug before we finish up. Um, both of us are ambassadors for Room to Read, which is, and so are a lot of other authors here, like Oliver and Tristan Banks and Kate Forsyth and quite a few of us. And so today we're running a raffle. So if anybody wants to buy raffle tickets, we've got some beautiful, beautiful books that have been donated by our beautiful publishers, Penguin Random House, thank you. And so, and also our beautiful illustrators that are um, going to be in the next session are going to do some illustrations that will be part of the raffle. So please dig deep to raise some money for Room to Read because we love them, don't we? Yeah, and there, one thing I love about Room to Read is it started off um, by John Wood, who was an ex-Microsoft um, CEO. And he delivered books to Nepal, where they had classrooms and no books. And then he thought, well, no, why are these English books going there? So basically now it's morphed into this thing where it's literacy um, programs in those um, countries. It's publishing, publishing initiatives in those countries. And it's educating girls. Because um, two-thirds of the kids who aren't in schools around the world are girls. And if you educate a girl, you educate that entire village. So um, I love that it sort of it raises money and it gives them to them for them to become better, not us 
people coming in and telling them how to do it. So I love your injury. We do. So can everybody please give Deb the biggest round of applause? To hear more, subscribe to the Writing New South Wales podcast on iTunes.